And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a bi-weekly podcast covering something Star Wars. In this episode, once again on the run, Cassian plans his next move, hoping to get back to Ferrix before it's too late. But meanwhile, the people of Ferrix mourn one of their own. There will be beach time Cassian and Melshi having fun times on the beaches when they're not being fishes and stuff. We're talking about Andor episode 11. That is not the name of the episode. It's called Daughters of Ferrix, but it still says one way out this week. Hi, I'm Hope, and I'm tired. How you doing, Chris? I'm Chris, and my, my I'm brain damaged, so... We're, we're both tired today, guys. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. How are you doing this week? Not bad. Not bad. I'm enjoying uh, not working. I'm basically on vacation till it's spring enough to go garage sailing. Is my plan. I'm jelly. Then once again, I'll have a job. <laughs> you have a fun job though, like yard selling and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did it for five years before my last job. Oh. Just fine. So I'm in like similar circumstances now. So, yeah. And uh. Yeah, I, I still don't, I still won't have rent for a little while. <laughs> I sure do hope that, like, I, I am, I'm, I'm so jealous that like your yard selling is better than ours because like down here it's just clothes and Bible stuff. That's all the yard sales are. Oh I yeah, could, uh, I no, could get rich yeah. on like, like, like stupid little like Jesus things. I would do it. I have a friend who lives in rural rural Georgia and she's like there's no garage I mean you can find antique shops and stuff like that and sometimes those are like fine antiques but like a lot of times they're just like there's a lot old junk thrown in there that you can that like is the stuff I like to go through mm-hmm. although although I am now in the market for mid-century <laughs> items for our house we're going to try to uh, decorate it in appropriate era as much as possible. Mm, in a fun so... way. Littered with, littered with our own stuff, too. Of course, it won't be completely, like, period, you know, period household, but, like... 1950s period. It's already three quarters there, though. It's, like, yeah. all our furniture is, is old, is from the 50s. It's. I want to see your barking loungers. It's amazing. Yeah, you got to come up here. That's all there is to it. You know, we we finally have a house that, like, we can bring people into and have some place for them to sit down. Dario doesn't have to camp in the backyard. No, he doesn't, although Dario loved camping in the backyard. We had a sweet setup for Dario in the backyard, too. (laughs) Uh, But, uh. Yeah, no, no. Now, now our guests can sleep in real. We got a real. We got a real guest bed. Eventually, we'll have. We have. 
the guts to it. No, we don't have a mattress or a box spring to the the, the other. There's two beds you down got in the, the bones. basement. The bones of a bed. Yes, we have bed bones, and they're nice old 50s bed bones. But, like, I'm also planning on getting, uh, you know, inflatable for the basement for depending on if we have, like, a family come over or something. But, yeah. Mm. Yeah. We're, we're, we're set up for, for guests. And, yeah. You could just sleep in the Barker lounger if you wanted to. Hell, Yeah. I had a friend whose dad had a Barkin lounger when I was little, and I just remember, like, it was the nicest chair ever. And I'm like, I've yet to ever be in another one. And so, so I want to see if, like, the nostalgia of, like, when I, you know, as a grown-ass adult, I sit in it, I sit in it with my sore muscles and, like, bad well, knees. You'll not only be sitting in it, but you'll be sitting in it in the uh, official rec room, you know, uh basement of us with you know the like actual wood not wood panel paneling but like wood you know walls it's it's you know you saw the pictures mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a nice it's old, house it's an old style like bachelor lounge down in the basement although it wasn't a bachelor who lived here but you know yeah dad's dad's area <laughs> <laughs> who knows they might have been swingers that might have been swinger party area i mean it has a wet bar yes it does so maybe and, it is and, a swinger And party. it wasn't just cosmetic because they have real bar had real bar sinks in it and, and the accoutrements. So it's it was made to function and pump out pump out the booze. <laughs> Which is funny because neither my housemate or I are drinkers at all. So we're gonna have like the worst stocked bar of <laughs> if it helps, I'm I'm I I'm not a big drinker, so when when you when I come, you're not going to worry about it. I might have a drink in your badly start stocked bar. I yeah, I don't I don't think we're worried about you like coming here and getting drunk and ripping up the no. place, you know. No, no, Screamy Hope won't come out. It'll be fine. So, um, so I, I want to address a, a few housekeeping things first, um, and part of that is my week, um. Uh, if if I sound tired, I am. I had a uh, really bad week, um, and so and because of that, this episode's gonna be a little bit different. Um, my uh, my aunt very suddenly passed away last weekend, and it's been a really bad week. And um, I'm very drained, but we wanted to have something going on, and we wanted to give this to you. And so this week's episode. I am stealing the format from our friends over at Gold Squadron Gaze. I'm stealing how Charles and I was about to call them Charlie and Cradley. <laughs> I'm going to steal how Charles and Bradley do their show because it's what my brain can function on right now. Um, and so uh, the format's going to be a little bit different. And I promise you, uh, the fun recaps are going to be back next week. Um, but I just, I don't not feel this like... this week. They're not going to be any fun this week. No, no fun. This is a no fun zone. You want oh, you guys came here for fun? For funnies? <laughs> no. You want to hear my jokes? They're bad. You, nope. what, why, what do you call a dirty joke? A, a horse fell in a mud puddle. No, it's like my horse. grandmother always said, um, if, you, if you came here for fun, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> my yeah. grandmother never said that. Oh, uh, uh, man. 
Yeah, so th- 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 this week's format's going to be a little bit different, but don't like the worry, ghost cause... of my grandmother came out of the wall, just like what I said. What I didn't say that. Chris, is your name short? Chris Honeywell. I never said that. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this week's episode's going to be formatted just slightly different. So if you ever want to know what it's like to listen to Cult Quadrant Gaze, here you go. Um, but I also want to talk about two other cool things. So continuing on the point of Charles. Um, so Charles was our guest on our last episode, the book episode. And at the end, he said that he wasn't sure if he could announce something. And if it changed, then uh, he would send us a thing. Well, he did not send us a thing. But I, I can finally talk about the thing that he wanted to announce. And this episode's coming out on Wednesday, right? Chris? Yes. Yes, it yes. is. Cool. So it's today. The thing is today. Charles published a book today. If you're and, listening to it fresh. Yeah. So today is Charles's book birthday. Happy book birthday, Charles. Um, and I'm about a quarter way through it. And the book is called Beach House Studios, a dark gay thriller. And I'm going to read the summary. You ready? Yes. So the summary of Charles's book is Rye Thompson is finally free. He's packed a bag, set fire to his old life, and hopped on a cross-country flight. His dream is to build a new identity as a model at a gay porn company, Beach House Studios, where Rye plans to settle into a life of sex parties and getting paid a lot of money for both of those things. He's willing to do whatever it takes to make that dream a reality, and that includes selling his soul. Dan Sebring can't afford mistakes. As the new producer of Beach House Studios, it's Dan's job to somehow turn a failing studio into a professional outlet. But Dan's ambition runs deeper and darker. To achieve them, he'll need total control of the studio and its assets. Rye might prove to be Dan's best choice, but if only Dan, but only if Dan can bring the reckless and irresponsible young model under his control. Dan and Rye's tenuous alliance to purge a toxic element from the studio is complicated by their own agendas. As Rye digs himself deeper into a lie that is his life, and Dan schemes to uncover Rye's past, the two spiral around each other through a web of secrets. All that waits at the center, if they ever reach it, are blood, bloody, deadly consequences. Oh, well, it's a drama then. <laughs> it is a. It is. I okay. So I am currently like about thirty percent through it. So about a third through it. Uh, it's wonderfully fucked up. If you like thrillers, um, with it, and it's it's very, it's very adult. I should say this is a not safe for work book. Uh, there are so many penises, which is fine by me, but still. It's a um, book full of penises. Well, it takes place in a in a, a gay porn studio, and uh, I and Charles has like really done his research about like the sex industry and stuff like that. Like he actually like <laughs> talked to people and stuff I'll like that. I bet he has. Don't say that. Like he talked to people <laughs> and interviewed them. You asshole. But he probably sure he has. Did. Sure he did. Sure, sure. sure he did. Um, yeah, sure I love did. you, Charles. <laughs> I'm just but, wondering if there's going to be, you know how there's like subgenres like dark metal? I wonder uh-huh. if there's going to be dark gay now. Uh, this is uh, uh, LGBT, uh, LGBT thrillers. 
That is the what this is labeled under. And yeah, but I like I I I like I like the idea of like there being a Barnes and Noble section that just says dark gay, the dark (laughs) gay (laughs) section. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it is out. Um, it's currently only in a Kindle format, and this is actually the first book in a series. I think he said it's going to be. There's going to be more than one book. I don't want to throw out the number because it's not in my head. But uh, this is actually the first book of a series. And I'm really enjoying it. Um, To kind of give my short review so far, if you like unlikable characters, everybody in but two of the characters suck. But you kind of want to keep reading them. Um, There's only two characters that are like beautiful rays of sunshine. And everyone else kind of sucks. And Charles is really good at writing unlikable characters that you kind of want to keep reading. Because, yeah. And it's really good so far. And so go on Amazon. um, Look it up on Kindle. And it's called Beach House Studios. And it's by C.W. Rogers. That's his name on there. Honestly, the unlikable characters are almost like... They're almost more best. exciting yeah exactly well, why am i saying that to you mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i like i like them but um yeah so charles happy book birthday i'm very proud of you and everyone go read uh beach house studios and then the other point of um oh come on brain we're just getting started uh the other well, house yelling in my brain tonight too Ooh, yeah, it's going to be a night, guys. Um, the other part of this is I wanted to remind everybody that we have a guest in the next episode. Um, our guest is going to be my co-podcaster, Robin, from For Light and Dice, because they are the biggest Andor fan I know. And they love Andor so much that it actually made them kind of hate the rest of Star Wars. <laughs> I know. Um, So they will be with us uh, next week for, not next week, the next episode, uh, Rick's Road. Um, And I'm very excited about them being here. And I I understand the feeling of I love this so much, I hate everything else for not being as good as it. Mm -hmm. I I mean, sometimes movies do that. Mad Max Fury Road was the last one that I did that. I was just like, everything else is lacking. I mean, there's a reason our friends have an entire podcast called Is It Jaws? And it's just comparing movies to Jaws. Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. So, yay! Well, are you ready to uh, get into and Where at? Oh, Chris, it's been eight months since we talked about I Andor. Know. I know. That, I was watching the episode last night going, oh, man, it's been eight months since I watched this. But, like, I, I watching, got right. I was watching the episodes trying to remember everyone's name. I was like, who the hell is Bix? <laughs> I, was, I couldn't remember anyone's names. Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard. Names are especially elusive to me lately. I I forget names like crazy. But uh, yeah, Thank maybe. Goodness, there's a thing called Wikipedia, which was very helpful today. <laughs> but uh, oh. yeah, you know, I mean, I got right back into the swing of it, and it was mm-hmm. sort of it. It's it's sort of at that spot, and this is a sort of like. I don't want to say catch up episode or, you know, this is just sort of a, it's tying up, it's, it's setting up the last episode. So it's sort of, yeah. you know, Cassian plays a very small role in this one, you know, Honestly, really, uh, this episode. As the penultimate episode, it was just moving everything into place. Like that, that's, that's all it did. Um, which is not a bad thing because it's probably one of the better, and, and I, I talked about this later, like it's one of the better episodes that like moves everything into place for the finale. So um oh yeah no and and they they made sure to throw in 
you know, one just, you know, fantastic scene in the, in the, what was it? The second, it was the second act or the third act, but that, you know, that they, they throw in the, 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 the escape scene with the ship in this one. And that one, and that scene is great to watch and it's kind Uh of got some special effects going on and stuff. And it sort of ties everything together. You know, it's, 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 it's setting up the tension, you know, it's, it's pulling the strings tight for Mm -hmm. the next episode. Yeah. But did you like it? I don't, yeah, I don't, (laughs) there's not an episode of this that I don't like, you know? Yeah. I liked it too. Like I said, I think it's one of the better like penultimate episodes. So. I'm, I'm sorry, I was just scribbling down my n- numerical grade for it because I forgot to. D- I, I forgot that we did that. Like I, ke- I kept uh, there's so many things. I was like, oh yeah, we do do this. We do oh, this, yeah. and then, then we do months. this. Yeah. We are so rusty, Chris. That's what I was doing. I listened to an old Star Trek Monthly Monday, and I forgot the whole routine that we did for every episode, you know, to to do it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, we did that every every episode. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, all the little sound drops and stuff. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, you ready? I am <clears throat> ready. Oh. Andor episode 11, Daughter of Ferrix, aired on November 16th, 2022. It was written by Tony Gilroy, and it was directed by Benjamin Karen. Some extra information for you. The alien fisherman, Dewey Pamular, wow, Dewey and Freddie, we'll just say that, that's their names, are puppeted by Matt Lyons and Liam Cook, and voiced by Mike Quinn and Damien Farrell. Cook specifically is a longtime puppeteer for Lucasfilm, working on films such as The Last Jedi, Solo, and he was Ochi of Bestoon in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, the chatty alien of the two is a Caradian, and they first appeared in Rogue One, where one of them was a member of Saul Guerrero's partisans. Their species was first identified in the mobile Star Wars game Force Arena. The other alien, um, who was the one that was just kind of grunty and didn't talk, is an unknown species, and his design was cut from Rogue One. The creators of Solo, a Star Wars story, wanted to use his uh, design during the Kessel sequence, but it was also cut from there as well. And finally, the Imperial ship that tries to capture Luthen is a Cantwell-class vessel. It was named after one of Lucasfilm's concept modelers from the original trilogy, Colin Cantwell. The ship is based on one of his models and was also almost almost featured in Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh my god, Yoda! Come here, let me hug you. Oh, oh I missed you. I missed your, your wrinkles and I missed your smell and I missed you so much. Your face and squishy little face. Your squishy little face and your big old ears. Hi. <laughs> What? Oh. Yoda I just... thought he was going to get squirted. No, no, I have missed you very much. I know I heard you, like, you popped up a little bit to say hi to Charles and Colton last time, mm. but I just wanted to say that I missed you very much. Mm, so. The heart grows fonder, absence makes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's you know, and I've been talking with Chris, but I haven't been talking with you. I, so Don't that's... worry, 
contempt familiarity breeds, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, Yoda's back! <laughs> yeah. Though enough familiarity with you, and there's other things that breed. Anyway, um, I have a question for you, Yoda. Yes. I had him on. I was like, how do I do this? Um, <laughs> a question for Yoda. There he goes. Yes, Yoda answers questions. I know. we're. It's okay, Yoda. We're all rusty today. It's fine. Yoda, I just want to know, what have you been up to for the last eight months? Oh, a terrible battle Yoda was in for many months. Many, many months. Oh my goodness, what happened? Oh, um, embarrassing it is. Okay. Yoda got toe fungus. Uh, oh. Not wearing shoes and swamp and keeping Yoda's feet moist. Did you put your toes somewhere where they weren't supposed to be? Always. Always. Always a Jedi puts his toes where they are not supposed to be. Is that, do they teach that in the Jedi temples? Always. Yoda taught that anyway. That one of Yoda's teachings. Is that why Count Dooku became a Sith? Because he didn't want to do that teaching? Oh, maybe, 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 perhaps. Is that why Anakin left and became a Sith Lord? It could be. Sometimes so... fungus, you get brain fungus. Oh. So you're saying that the the Jedi who put their toes where they're not where they're not supposed to be are the good Jedi, like Obi Wan. So he just yes. got his. He just got his toe up there in a nice, moist place. Yoda, uh, Obi-Wan was talented toe man. <laughs> oh, I'm sure Duchess Satine thought so. Toe Master Kenobi, they called him. Obi, uh, Toby Wan Kenobi? Toby Wan Kenobi, yes. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. Everybody I, I, knew that. You know, just uh, Duchess Satine of Mandalore, I bet she... She did. She, put her I... toe, she, she would put her toe up people's butts, kick them. Right, kick, that that was a kicking ass joke. Not. Oh, I was about to say. I'm sure Obi Wan would love that. He seems like he would. He seems like someone who would get pegged. Yoda does not share those secrets. Oh, okay. So, so other than the toe fungus, what like was that the only thing? Did you like? Did you go on vacation? Did you no. do anything? No, fought toe fungus. Mm, first, Yoda tried soaking in salts and potions. Mm, only grew, grew bigger and moister. And so, Yoda then tried to use the force. Did you try to force your toes? I tried. Yoda tried to force the fungus, and <laughs> not pretty it was. Not pretty it was. Full of. Midichlorians that you yeah. <laughs> did you like did you like um did they fight you back the, the, the oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yes yes finally we, we, we have reached detente we have peace like Yoda's new socks watch oh they're they're, they're cute yes, they smell good too mm. oh oh Yes. Oh, they, they do smell swampy. Mm. Wait, do peace you still... we have peace, peace we have reached. You still have the toe fungus? 
Yes! Friends we are now. Oh. Mm, oh. Yes, we, we discuss new smells and colors. Mm. So I don't... Many colors. Look at the colors. Mm, pretty, yes? Mm. Yoda, I really like, hate to break geez. it to you. Yoda, I hate to break... Wait! Those socks, I thought they were just decorated. That's the fungus color. Yeah. Oh. Now you see. Now Chris, you see. Chris, we need to make a new hygiene law rule for J guys. Mm. Another hygiene law for Yoda. No. Mm-hmm. Yoda's retired, does not have to have to abide by Jedi hygiene laws. No. Yeah, yet the well this those, is the those laws died with the Jedi. Died with the Jedi. Do you want to get paid? Oh, the fungus Yoda wants. Do you mm. want to get paid like Grogu? Mm, makes me strong. Mm. Provides get... food <laughs> for Yoda. Mm. Tasty, tasty dip for Yoda's chicken wings. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> Yoda. Oh, God. Chris. You wanted him back. You Chris. wanted him back. He's Wait, back. Oh, Yoda, you're back. You're I, so yeah. cute. Oh, my God. We have to make a new rule for him. He has to watch. He, we have to get him to a doctor. <laughs> There's footprints. Why would you? I know. There's they, wet footprints on the I can't the tell if it's just a light or if they're moving either. It's oh. a creepy thing. Oh. Well, just, just. Cross your legs up in the chair. Don't keep Mm-mm-mm. on the floor. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, God. Dump some alcohol on there. And... I hugged him. Yeah, you were like, get in my lap, Yoda. Oh. <laughs> oh, cute, cute. Wait, I need to call Charles because Yoda hugged him last week. Charles, go to a doctor. Check your feet, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were trying on each other's shoes after the show. They were like, oh, look, our feet are the same size. We should just switch one of our shoes. And, like, I think they, like, they they both switched, like, so that one of them's wearing the left foot and one of them's wearing the right foot. Colton was rightfully worried about Yoda last episode. So Colton was the smart one. Those kids are smart, man. Man. Those kids are smart. Yeah, they are. You know, I mean, like us old folks, we just like we we used we to just... trade sh- we used to trade shoes like it was just you know nobody's business back in the day, and we still think it's all right. Uh, it's but almost it's not it... all right, guys. It's not all right. Ugh, it's These almost days are past. Hooray! Oh, anyway, Act One. Well, that was weird. Yeah, Act One. Let's do that. All right, you ready for your super short editing, Chris? Oh yeah, this. Oh yeah. Well, okay. All right. <laughs> you don't have to ask an old, old, decrepit podcaster twice. Here's your preview of what it's like to be on Gold Squadron Gaze, Act One. Cassian and Melshi are on the run from the Imperial prison when they... uh, This is my best Bradley voice, I just realized. Cassian and Melshi are on the run from the Imperial prison when they're snared by two fishermen while trying to steal a ship. As the fishermen have been slighted by the Empire, they decide to help the runaways get to Niamos. Meanwhile, 
and tragically, Marva has passed away. As Brasso comforts B2 Emo, Senta and the Imperial ISB agent that I was too lazy to look up his name for, uh, look on and they decide what it means for their mission. Dedra finds out about Marva's passing and wants Ferrix to have a funeral to lure Cassian back to his home. This in turn sets up the finale. And finally, Vel decides to visit Clea. She wants to look for Luthen, but Clea puts her in her place while playing the game. Vel tells her about Marva's death and that she's heading to Ferrix to join Senta. Wow, that's a lot shorter than like me vamping for 10 minutes. I'm just calling, um, I'm, I'm just calling Deidre's assistant Smithers. No, he's her boyfriend, Hurt. Or Radar. He could be Radar from MASH, too. He's her boyfriend, Hurt, and they're still... That's one thing I do remember from eight years. The moment I saw Hurt, I was like, oh, yeah, I ship you two. Mash your faces together. Well, I mean... And also, he's I mean, the guy who makes I mean, there was some Mr. Burns Smithers uh, tension, you know, romantic tension there, so, you know. Remember, he's the one that fucks Dedro while Cyril watches and makes Cyril his cuck, don't you remember? From- oh, that scene, yeah. Yeah, that was the best. I remember stuff from eight months ago, but I don't remember what I did two weeks ago. I don't remember what I do. I'm doing two minutes from now. I don't know. I walk to I walk to sections of my house, and I'm like, "Why am I here?" I do that all the time. Huzzah! Or, or I don't even go why I'm here. I just start doing something different, and then do something different, and then go back into my room and go like, "Oh wait, I went out in the kitchen to do something else," and then I go out to do it again. And I start doing something else. I like when I, like, get up to go do something, and I'm like, why well, I'm here, and I sit down, and then I start doing it, and I'm like, fuck, I needed the thing! <laughs> yeah, it's like living with a mild concussion all the time. It's That's called it's old age. Of, yeah, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> a lot of people knock it, but it's not that bad. You learn to adapt. So, anyway, what do you think of Act 1? I liked it. I, uh, there was a lot of, like, well... Just on the shallow side, I love to see the the time bender or the time bender, the time beater. Oh, the, <laughs> I, I, I think his name is the grappler, the time grappler. The grappler, I think is, is the his time name. grappler. Yeah, but I yeah. just I'll call him the time beater. I'm coming up with I've got some new names for everything. Hell yeah, let's beat that metal. Um, yeah, the the metal, yeah, the metal master. Hell yeah, the most metal metal character in in Star Wars outside of a Mandalorian. Or a droid. Because everybody know, yeah, but the Mandalorians, <laughs> they have the hardest metal of all the metal in Star Wars. Their metal is the most metal, literally and figuratively. They're the metalist of metals. They are. They I mean they, they, they got Beskar, they can they they can fend off lightsabers. Now I want a Mandalor like a death metal Mandalorian shirt and it just says the Mandalorian, but it's done like a death metal shirt. Yeah, oh yeah, with that letter. Honestly, I bet there's, there's a name one. for that. The, one of one of my friends is is uh she tours she she's a merch person for a metal band and she was, you know, experimenting there there's a a, a it's not a official like typeface, but that style mm-hmm. of making those those mm-hmm. death metal names that are almost, you know, unreadable cuz unless you know I, the as someone who used to work in a music, like a music yes. shirt store, I yeah. Yeah, you know, you, uh, I <laughs> you mean, have to yeah. learn them. Yeah, it's ornate. It's but uh, yeah, that uh, that a Mandalorian shirt in that text would be 
fucking fantastic, yeah. which means it probably exists somewhere. I, I actually I did a Google of like Mandalorian death metal shirts, and there's an Iron Mando shirt, which is like an mm, Iron Maiden show. Okay, yeah, but and it's... then there's one that's um oh, what is this band? Um oh that's the that's the Metallica logo. So there's one yeah. that says uh, Mandalorian in the Metallica font. So more heart. That's yeah. Yeah, but not like that's... what I was thinking. Yeah, not cook. It's something so, something that looks like a band that would have a a Cookie Monster singer. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The real band, real band. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I love the the aliens in the beginning. I want that, that's actually my biggest note is all about the aliens. You want to go ahead and tackle that now? They remind me of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy so much. <gasps> oh my god, you're right! They are, like, the, the whole situation, the way they act, their spaceship, everything is Hitchhiker's It's It's like this little Hitchhiker's Guide to the section, the, the uh, galaxy section of visually and just vibe-wise. There's so many, this show has so many vibes of stuff that I love in it. And and yeah, the 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 way that they're just sort of like oh, oh, walking, oh, what are you doing there? Oh, got you in our yeah. net. All right, well, I don't like the empire, so come on, we'll go. And <laughs> just them being like kind of goofy, and and their ship is just a sort sort of Terry like Gilliam looking thing. Yeah, it's this, it's kind it, of like a scrotum belly going on. It looks like something out of Monty Python, which makes it feel British, which makes it feel Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because it's science fiction. And it, it and just the, the sort of absurdity of the, the their characters and that's how, you know, Cassian and Melchi get off off the off planet is Thank you for finishing that sentence. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we don't. Well, you don't know. Maybe they got off. At Maybe I like aliens. I think they're great. I like aliens. I do. Get out of here. You, you were still mopping up after you get out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love I love that beginning of it, and uh, um, the 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 part that really got me in Act One that that was just like, what's going on here? I'd forgotten all about this. Is like, did we see a little dream by a droid, or or uh, a or a memory, or just sort of like a little hallucination there? Like, it's the first time we've seen anything from a droid's point of view in Star Wars. Yeah, what is and it? Was that just kind of cool. To emo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the first, and it and it reminded me a lot of. And maybe it was just because the lens through the looking through the robot lens was very much like Anakin's um, visions of death scenes in the prequels where he was seeing, you know, Padme, Padme dying. And there was that sort of like rainbow distortion lens flare filter around everything. It looks like two lenses that are sort of misaligned. It was sort of the same thing with with him. It was very very much like one of Anakin's visions, but it's it's a robot, and I thought that was really cool. And they made the they made they they definitely made the decision. Any other TV show would have had um would have had a, a a death scene, you know, in it for Marva. It would have had like you know some sort of last words or stuff, but they're setting it 
you know, that I think they purposely were like, we'll we'll have Marva die off screen. You know, we 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 told everybody she was sick, but you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna like take the drama from that scene, you know. Yeah. And apply it. We're gonna do it off off screen and it's just it's too I think really like propel next episode's appearance of Marva like over the top, you know? And what but what I really like about that scene too is of course like it like you said, it's it's from B2 Emo's point of view. And he might just be the most emotive droid in all of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Like they get so much emotion across from like this like little wheelie box thing. And it's just like little things like when they start talking about um, taking Marva out, like he starts shaking to the point where the teacup, her teacup, it's her teacup that he brought for her, falls off his head and Brasso catches it. Like he is such an emotive droid. And even just like how he talks from like how he emotes, like that is such good work. Well, it's it's his name, sort of like it. It at first. At first, it seems seemed to me like it was kind of like you know, it's 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 kind of a joke on him being an emo droid. But then I was thinking about it. I'm like, maybe he's a model, where the 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 you know the the selling point of the model of the droid is you know we've got like hyped up emotional circuits on on this one, you know. And for for whatever reason, you would choose a droid to be like that. And he obviously function. He's obviously like damaged and not functioning at full capacity. Also, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just he's very so, interesting. He's his so name, endearing. His, his name so might endearing. actually be emo because that was a droid that was had for for whatever reason they were using him for it would have enhanced emotional circuits in it you know yeah and, and i mean it's to the point it's to the point where brasso like is is you know most people in star wars are just like okay dro- you know the dro- but but he's like okay i'm gonna you know like he trans- would with with the the old lady's dog if, if if the droid was like their dog it's like i'm gonna stay here with the dog because the dog is freaking out you know yeah or like like as if like he treats or a kid or something or, yeah i was about or, to say like a child like yeah. um and God, I love Brasso in these scenes. Like, I, I'll have so much to say about Brasso in, in the next episode because I have a lot of thoughts of Brasso. But, like, I love this kind of slow build of, like, Brasso's importance over the course of the show. And that, like, he's the one that is here um, in Cass's stead and feeling filling that role for Cass because he loves the family so much. Um, but I, I just love everything around Marva's passing because there's so much visual it's a mix of visual storytelling for one and very well placed dialogue because at yes. no point do they they're always like Marva's died they use all the context clues of like um we need to leave the bedding the way it is for Cassian we need to um they're about to take her out blah blah, blah. like and there's so much like little things that they do without it being like very oh, no, not not a line of dialogue or a single scene is wasted in this whole mm-hmm. show you know, everything means something. Everything has a lot packed into it without it being um, exposition-y, you know, at all. And then know. on the, the flip side of that, too, um, it it shows the community of Ferrix. Because when they're taking Marva out, 
everyone stops except for the ISB agent where he's inside like watching and still drinking. Like he's not pausing with the community to like let her pass respectfully, which makes him stand out, which, Mm -hmm. which I found very interesting. Um, But it's that the entire scene just does so much to show and endear you to be too emo and endears you to Brasso. It shows the community and it's all done through very well-placed dialogue and visual storytelling. And it's so beautiful. Anyway, yeah, and the daughters of ferrets remind me of um, my my roommate's union <laughs> theater union. <laughs> That's what I, they would look like marching through the street with a fallen comrade, almost exactly. <laughs> I didn't put it in my notes, but I almost did because I I, I think I said this in a past episode. But Jesse, uh, the the head, um, the black lady that's in charge of the Daughters of Herrick's now, like, I, and she's very important next week. She's a very important character next week. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish they brought her in sooner or had more of her because I really like her and I really find her interesting. And she's really only, like, she's mentioned in, like, I think the last episode. And then she's only really in this next week. But she's a really fucking important character. But they and we'll probably never see her again either. And probably never see her again. Though they did mention her. I do remember like one of the first. I think it was the first conversation that we had Cassian and Marva on screen together. They mentioned Jesse that early, um, in in the show because, um, yeah, um, because like Cassian is they were talking about Cassian's name being from Canary. And he was like, well, who knows? Like, Jesse? And she was like, well, Jesse's family. <laughs> so, um, anyway, you were saying, continue your notes. No, that's it from, that's really it for my notes. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, as for me, um, I want to talk about the opening scene and the fishermen, too. First of all, that brutal, op- that's a brutal opening scene of Cassie and Melshi clinging to the side of a cliff. And because, like, the first shot we see of this episode are their bloody feet, which is... Such a nice carryover from the prison arc where they w- couldn't have shoes, but that's like the first shot. I actually paused it to like stop. Like I was like, "Oh, I'm about to start the episode. Let me pause it and go get a drink." And I paused it. It's just their feet bleeding. I was like, "Oh, okay. Let's let this run <laughs> nice. for another second. <laughs> nice. Goes right along with Yoda's toe fungus. This uh, episode, we got a theme <laughs> running here. But yeah, like that's a brutal scene. I and I love seeing these glimpses of Cassian really stepping into that leadership role because Melshi is doubting himself. He's scared. He's about to fall. And Cassian is like, yeah, I hear you. And that's that's it. That's it. Yep. That's that, that like, he doesn't say like, Hey man, just hang on, blah, 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 blah. He just says, I hear you. I'm basically like, that is the only thing that he can offer. And it's, the thing he, I guess he has to offer is just like, yep, <laughs> me yep, too. I, we're, we're screwed. Let's I recognize let's go. Yeah, but it's yep. also a nice moment of their bonding because, like, Moshe looks at him. He's like, "Tell me that they're leaving," and he trusts Cass in that moment. You know, they've had all those weeks together in the prison, and they built this rapport. And um, rapport. Uh, that's the right word. Ha ha, my brain. Good job. Um, got it. And they, they you got this- it. Oh, I know. <laughs> Um, and they built they built this rapport together, and they um, and, and I, I, this is I know I'm going to talk about this more. Actually, I might as well talk about it now because it's here. I want to. I hope we get a lot more Melshi in season two. I want to see this friendship develop because by the time we get to Rogue One, Cassian has a left and a right hand. His right hand is K2SO, and his left hand is Melshi, 
and uh, he goes with K2 to, to Scarif, and he trusts Melshi to lead the ground troops. Those are the two people he trusts, are those two people. And I want to see, like, now that we've seen the beginning, I hope season two really focuses on getting us more Melshi and Cassian and showing, like, them really bond. Because I want, the next time I watch Rogue One, I want it to fucking hurt when Melshi dies. It's either gonna, it's gonna go either way. It's gonna either go, like, we don't see Melchi again, or he's, like you just described. It's gonna go, it could go either those even ways. It, it depends on, it depends on what, because, like, I, I don't know if their story is, is going to be like, this is, you know, it, it, there's definitely gonna be Mon Mothma, because, like, Mon Mothma uh, uh, and the the inclusion of Mon Mothma as a side story, or maybe you know, maybe this will be about how like the two worlds collide. You know, at we, some point, Mon Mothma and Cassian are going to be working to we, get you know together in some way instead of just tangentially through this. But like with we, the inclusion I, I, I of Mon say- Mothma, it's like basically saying this is how the rebellion gets formed. So yes, we could, so Melchi could, you we know. We do I, know that season two is going to be having a time jump every arc. Um, right. Every arc is a year. So it's going to jump a year. And I think like it was like 12 episodes. So every three is like one year. Um, and it, like, and each one leads right up to Rogue One. So like, I don't even, like, even if we don't have Melchi for the whole scene, I wouldn't be surprised if we had him for a this, arc. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, like, happen. yeah, so, like, I'm almost positive there's going to be a time where... Because, cause I doesn't... Mon Mothma and Cassian know each other in Rogue One, don't they? They do. Because he... well, Because so. Mon Mothma... Well, Mon Mothma, at least, works with Cassian's... The, like, Cassian's leader. Because mm-hmm. he's the one that, like, Mon Mothma's like, Ah, oh, this is Jin, hello! And, the, and Cassian's leader's like, Hey, Cassia, like, Mon Mothma likes this girl. Like, go kill her dad. So, like... So, so they are at least I would have to assume aware of each other. I have to assume. So, I don't know. It's been a hot minute since I've seen Rogue One, but yeah. And then okay, I gotta talk about these. I'm aliens. waiting to watch Rogue One again till after season two. Meets you, and that's gonna and that, be. A and while. I just heard they just wrapped fi- or like wrapped filming of it, basically. So, uh, Diego finished wrapping filming. Um, I just wrote about this. Uh, at the uh, Emmys, he he was at the Emmys, and he said uh, he was going back to London the next day, and he was finishing by the end of the week. So as of now, he is done finishing. Um, I don't know if that means this show is done. Because they might have like other characters and beat roll and stuff like that, but it's a big thing when he's done. So we're going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I want to talk about the fishermen. Andor does not do aliens very often, but when they do, they're amazing. Yeah. And they all have purpose. Um, I can only think of a couple aliens off the top of my head in the story. Um, one is, yeah. And these two are so good. And what I like about the fishermen is they do have very real incentive to turn over Cassian and Melshi because they talk about how they've been struggling. Like their water is poisoned. Like the, they can't get food. They can't fish anymore because of the empire. And that's, a, that's 2,000 credits wriggling on the ground. 
And that's very real incentive of them because that might like be what gets them through the week or the month or might give them some leeway. But they hate the empire more than they need money. And they oh, just that, that that one alien might be the alien that ends up with Sagarera too, you know, because I don't know. We they, don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they could have been talking. They could have been, you know, um, re- reading or listening to what's his name's book there when Cassian was flying around with him. Oh, I love that headcanon that he like drops off Cassian and goes joins all. I, I really like that headcanon a lot. But or, yeah, or keeps in touch with him, you know, and you know, I yeah, maybe 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 Cassian. Uh, Slapped him a little dough when they got to, you know, got to the whatever the planet was there with the the resort planet. You know, he might yeah. have grabbed his money and, and he probably he probably did pay them. Like, hey, like he goes Neamos and I can pay you some. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but but I find that so interesting that like if the Empire was actually good and like was helpful to their people and like didn't invade worlds and like actually like worked with the local folk and stuff like that, these two probably would have turned them in. But they hate the Empire more than they need money because, like, we've seen in other media, like in Rebels, how the Empire slowly destroyed Lothal and has, like, slowly destroyed other planets. And it's the Empire rots everything it touches. And it turns, and because of that rot destroying people's life and not working with them, it turns people like these fishermen against the Empire. This was their tiny rebellion. They might not fight the Empire ever again, but because of how the Empire has slighted them and their world and their livelihood, they're more than happy to help two runaways get away from the Empire because they hate the Empire so much. And that's like and 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 that's their tiny little rebellion. That is how they rose up and they helped Cassian and Melshi get away. And I just really love that story. <laughs> I think you know, they're only in this like one scene and I just I love that that this tiny little thing was their act of rebellion and sometimes people only need one and it has this ripple effect with Cassian because Cassian gets away and he gets to do these these aliens rebel and it ripples to Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star. And like that's how these like little things happen. And it might not seem big, but what was it? Um didn't Nimic say something along those lines of like you know, one person might not make it seem, it might not seem like a lot whether it's just one person, but if everybody does it, like, it ripples and, like, breaks down yep. walls or something. Like, Nimic says something along those lines. Um, but yeah, like, it's, that's the theme of the show. It, even if tiny rebellions are still rebellions, no matter how small. And this one has big consequences all the way down the line. Yep. I, I just like They're them. all little sparks, and you see the spark, the, you, you see, like, Everything that's happened in the show has been, you know, rolling in a rebellious direction, you know, and has set off something that set off something else that set off something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah. And all this, this was was two fishermen that just wanted to, you know, I like that they fuck with them a little bit. Like, <laughs> they work out very quickly. Like, oh, okay, these are runaways. They, well, they yeah, probably they're, seeing, they're they... getting ready to steal their ship, too. So they were sort of like, hmm. Let's, let's fuck with them a little bit. But, I, you know, these two probably have been seeing patrol ships all morning. You know, there's probably yeah. been flying everywhere, like patrol ships. They're probably like, something's happened. Um, 
And that's true. Yeah, like Moshi and them were going to steal their ship and they were just like, okay, let's fuck with them a little bit. It'll be fine. This will be fun. Let's pretend like we're going to eat them. Okay, let's go. (laughs) But I never thought about them being hitchhiker aliens and you're 100% right on that. Like they would totally fit in in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 100%. They're little scrotum bellies and all. So. Um, and my they very last Vogans. They too. Oh my gosh, they are. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I need to rewatch. Uh, oh, what you need to watch, what you need to do is read the books because as a book, I have reader, read the first one. Yeah, they're, they're, the books are a joy. What you need to watch is the BBC Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the TV show that they made. I think it's six episodes or eight episodes or something like that. They're like a half hour each. You know what the exciting thing I did last week was? I finally got a new library card. Ooh. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. And um, I know it seems silly, but now I have the Libby app and I have a whole list of books that I'm working through. Like, um, I'm like waiting to read uh, the new Percy Jackson movie book. Um, yeah, because everyone I went, keeps telling I, you I went to that. one of the larger suburban libraries because my housemate was having a uh, a, meet, a union meeting there, and she's like, you know, if you want, you can go and hang out in the library there. It's a huge library; you can go check it out for an hour, and you know, you don't have to threaten me with a good time. I was just like, hell yeah. And it had one of the nicest library bookstores I've ever mm-hmm. been into where everything was like a dollar to, you know, the, the, the oversized art books were like more expensive. They were $2, you know, instead Whoa. of a dollar. So, and I immediately walked in and replaced randomly one of my old 1800s, you know, school books, school reading primers. Like there it was on the on the table, and I was just like, jumping off my bookshelf. I'll take that. Oh, a dollar? Okay. <laughs> and I just had a whole whole stack of interesting books to read, and uh, that was really really nice. I am still sitting by, hoping that one day you and Colton do a science fiction book podcast. Yeah. Um, pretty soon I'm going to be making my insurance list of books. So I'll be thinking a lot about, I'll be thinking and, you know, taking, taking, um, what is the word? I'm taking stock of all my, the books that I had. So that will jog my memory a lot. And yeah, I I would listen to it. I'm just saying they want to do a, uh, uh, science fiction uh, book club and our little for light and dice discord and like I think that you and them would make a great co-podcasting team for yes. a science book book science. I would, yeah, I would at least be at the very least be down with a, a, a science fiction book club discord to to talk on. Yeah. Or if like you know, if you just want to record episodes about science fiction stuff when I'm not around. <gasps> What if that? Uh, I don't think they have time for other college. But uh, <laughs> I was just like, what if that's not? That's how we make J guys weekly. You and Colton do a week, and then you and I do our normal thing. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, uh, my, let's talk about Clea. Um, <laughs> last but certainly not least, 
Um, I really love the scene with Clea and Vel at the end of Act One. Um, and just Clea is just so effortlessly just like knows how to like work the spy angle. And like, yeah, she that's knows, what like, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. she's facing like the window, she's all smiles. And the moment she turns her back to the window, she is just so passive aggressively. Not even passive. She's just glaring the fuck out of that. Passive aggressive is the language of spies. It's just no it way is. not to be passive aggressive. And and you know, it's the 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 talking about different you know stuff under the table in public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I. You know, and then there's a scene where Vel is just like, you know, I gave Luthen Aldani. What have you done? And Clay is like, bitch, let me tell you the things that I do. You're just one part of everything. Done. Yeah, she's like, done. I do. <laughs> I'm I'm always doing. And I, I still just like I go back and forth, like wondering if she's the real axis, because later in the episode, she's the one that's telling Luthen, like, she's like, you need to come back right now. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the one trying to command him. But, of course, he doesn't listen. Blah, blah, blah. Well, he gets cut off by the Imperial ship, I should say. But, like, I I love this idea that, like, she could possibly really be the one in charge. It, but at the same time, like, you know, she's fronting as being his assistant as kind of like what Kanan and Hera did in Rebels. You know, um, Kanan took the, uh, the, the, uh, the nickname Spectre One. Like, so she wouldn't be seen as the one important, the one in charge, because, and she was Spectre too, even though she was actually the leader of the group. Like, she was the one that got their mission. She was the one that was militarily in charge. But he took that leadership title to throw people off, to make them think that he was in charge. And I do think that that could be a possibility with Clay and Axis with the two of them. So... I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm very excited. I, I, I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's been fucking eight months. I think it's so fascinating that we've had an entire season and we still know nothing about, about Luthen or Clea. We know nothing about them. And that's a fucking good writing. And I am incredibly excited to get into season two to learn something about them. Because if we get out of season, if season two finishes and we still know nothing about them, I will be very frustrated. But <laughs> I'm excited to get into it. So, but that's all I have for Act One. Did you have anything else? No. Are we ready for Act Two? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> two. Act Two. Brasso returns for B to email while Senta and the ISB agent watches. Brasso stays the night with B. We check in on Bix, still in Imperial custody and not doing great from being tortured. They bring her for follow-up questionings about Antor Krieger and Cassian. Hopping over to Coruscant, Mon Mothma watches Lita and her culty little Girl Scouts when Velve comes to visit. Mon shares a glimpse of how much trouble she's in financially with her cousin. Incel King Cyril Karn gets a call from his buddy from earlier in the season, Linus Musk, who is still cleaning up from the time they failed to play cops. Musk tells Cyril that Cassian's mom has died, and Cyril realizes that this is his chance to finally get Cassian. And finally, Cassian recovers his Aldani money and blaster from the hotel bathroom he left it in just before his jail time. What did you think of Act 2? I have so much to say about the culty Girl Scouts. So, uh, what did you really think of Act 2? 
I like Dak 2 a lot. I think it might be my favorite act. Because it has the most, like, I have a lot of thoughts about the cult of Girl Scouts. I think Act 3 might be my favorite, but I like this one a lot. This had a lot going on. And this, I was really enjoying this because it was just soaked in Stanley Kubrick vibe. The way that it's both sequent, like both like Cyril's Cyril's part and Ma, and Mon Mothma's part were just very Kubrickian. I mm-hmm. love the way Coruscant looks in in Andor, and. Like mostly nighttime out of wit the nighttime out of window scenes are just beautiful. And so, yeah, we got that creepy cult meeting. <laughs> and that like the creepiest part this this is this is like some well, A, it's got Cyril in it, so it's, <laughs> it's that is the creepiest it's automatically part of all times. and a cult doing their cult thing and then Mon Mothma watching her this is like mon mothma at her lowest you know she's watching her daughter who she's about to give away to this weird cult and you know into a gangster uh uh-huh but the cult is sort of baked into the into giving her away to the gangster too you know into marriage and that's true because Velta's like Delta. Vel is like, oh my god, she's still doing the Girl Scouts. Are you taking proposals, Mon? Like it is baked in. Yes, I am. And and this is the first time we see Moth Mon Mothma terrified. She's just she's terrified because A, she's gotta come up with the money <laughs> and she could get caught. And you you can just see the fear in her eyes, and you know so she's she's got that snap in her heels and and you know she's like basically like I'm gonna have to you know frame my husband <laughs> to get out of this. I mean it's just parent he'll be that's fine. Frame him as a gambler, and um and say goodbye to my daughter. Yeah, for yeah to to a gangster and to a religious cult, mm-hmm. and her daughter's just loving it. Her daughter's all into it. I okay. I I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find this entire like culty Girl Scout very fascinating. I'm kind of torn between how much of this is a fuck you from Lita or how much this is a cry for help from Lita. And the reason I say that is um, I think there's a part of her that actually really enjoys it. And like Iman says that, like, you know, like she chose it. She found the leader. Like she found it. She wants a family. (laughs) Exactly. And I used to be a Girl Scout when I was little. And there is a community there. Like, it is a group of friends. Like, I have very formative memories of, like, 
camping and like going out and like going on trips and doing the cookie cells and like it is very much a community and it's very clear in this entire show that Lita does not feel supported by her mom. She's brought it up multiple times. She feels threatened by Tay Coma being there. She calls Tay um, her mom's boyfriend. It's She's probably worrying if her parents are going to break up. And so I think this is equally parts of a little bit of a fuck you, mom, but also like, I need my mom. Like I don't have my mom, and so I'm seeking this help elsewhere. What I also like about this is that Mon brings up that Perrin really hates them too. And I like like I love one of my low-key things I love with Andor is when Mon and Perrin agree and work together on things. Because Perrin sucks. He sucks so much. But I love watching when the two of them are actually on the same team together. We have that, like, in an earlier episodes where they're, like, both, like, Perrin is there to help his wife do Senator stuff, and he can do it. And then there's stuff like this where they're, they're the both... the Clintons. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Aren't they, basically? He's kind of a playboy. But do they hate each other? The Clintons? I don't Probably. know. Probably. I, don't know. I mean, almost any married politician couple probably hate each other because they're politicians they've been you know they probably got along i can see Perrin. i can see him and hillary and Perrin and mon mothma like like you know having this parallel thing where they met in college and they kind of kind of had the hots for each other and, and well they we know like, they were arranged when they were 15 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they probably worked well together Mm-hmm. And we're like, hey, you know, we're young and hot and we and we we get stuff done together and we can be this political family. And then after a while they got, you know, they 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 probably both had had, you know, were taken on, you know, concubines or lovers or whatever and just sort of like we're like, all right, well, you know, we're a team and we work well together, but you know, mm-hmm. we'll just sort of both do our own thing. Mm-hmm. And they've obviously been doing their own thing for a while, you know, because both of them are have things that they don't know what the other one's up to. Yeah, and Perrin he's, has di- dinner parties with her political enemies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's hanging around with the Imperials, and he's enjoying himself, and she's forming a rebellion, you know. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, but I just I find those moments when like they clearly agree because I, I would say like Perrin sucks all around. But it's clear mm-hmm. he loves his daughter. Like mm-hmm. that is a thing that they both share. They both love Lita. And that will be the place where they're always a team. And so, like, character writing wise, I think that adds like just so many, like, like, yeah, parent sucks, except for here. And that's just how you shade a character. That's they, how they you add shades of gray. Each other, you know, they don't loathe each other. They obviously re- have some degree of respect for each other mm-hmm. on some level. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, I've invaded your Girl Scout note. I'm just going to do all my note stuff. <laughs> um, I don't know what to make of this line because Mon says that the culty Girl Scouts are stronger on Coruscant than it is on their home planet on Chandrilla. And I don't know what to make of that. And because they're more imperial, 
they they probably cozied up to the Imperials too. And that's kind of where I was feeling that because Mond specifically tells Vel, you're not keeping up the trends. This is a trend that this Girl Scout group has come back. And I think that is because of a, I think that is a reaction to the Clone Wars. Uh, that, that, that is my take because this rise in traditionalism under the Empire is this kind of comfort zone that the entire galaxy just got off a multi-year war that was horrifically tragic and killed billions and it ravaged the galaxy. And so, and now that there's this empire that's supposed to be the centralizing force, I can see this as a slide back to traditionalism to, cause it feels safe. It feels yeah. good. And that is it's, about the only way I could kind of like like how that comes around of being on Coruscant. Well, Coruscant is works. sort of shorthand for politics, you know. Yeah, technically, so it's, like it's basically America too. Ba- yeah, yeah, it's basically Washington D.C. So when you, when you're like they're more popular on Coruscant, that means they've been getting, you know, basically they've been tying themselves in with the with the power structure of the galaxy, you know. Yeah, more I, than like their home churches. Yeah, and so like that—that that was kind of like the only way that I could kind of reconcile that a little bit. Like this is a reaction to the Clone Wars, and there's probably a lot of groups like this that are kind of reactions to the Clone Wars, where before like the Republic was this kind of like mix of voices and stuff like that. The while the Empire is trying to pose itself as a stabilizing force, it is also kind of like a gentrify a, a gentrify gentrification gent what's the word gentrification gentrifying gentrifying what's the word yeah gentrifying there we go um so it probably does make people want to fall back on their home planet traditions i'm sure there's a lot of you know um it was the it was the episode with uh when cassian got arrested they were talking about the new pord rules and yularen was like you know with people People need to stop doing their traditions. They're not allowed to have parties. They're not allowed to do these things because they need to do it the imperial way. And so it's not really surprising that something like Chandrill and Girl Scouts are making a comeback because it is a tradition that they're also trying to hold on to against this gentrifying force while also being a response to the Clone Wars. Like, I, I just, I find these Girl Scouts so freaking interesting to me. They're so interesting and I really love it. Um, and I also have a tinfoil hat theory that Vel was forced to do it. <laughs> like she was forced to be a Girl Scout. And she's like, I hate this. Oh, probably. For yeah. All the pretty girls. Yeah, the no, you girls prob- are the only good part of this. You probably have to when you're a kid. So yeah, and most kids mm-hmm. just put up with it, like you know, like church school, like we used to have, or or some, you know, like school, mm-hmm. and then they leave it. But then there's some of them, like your daughter, who's like, I like this. I like this. Mm-hmm. And my last note about the Girl Scouts, and this is kind of a shallow note. God, I want all Lavelle's outfits on Coruscant. She always looks so hot. I want all of her clothes. But yeah, I just find the Girl Scouts very fascinating. Like, they're the most, like, interesting part of this episode for me. And there's so much in every line of dialogue, and I love them. So please finish the rest of your Act 2 notes, and thank you for letting me invade him. It's okay. I only have one more, one more, and it's not, not very long. I love... 
Well, I was saying, you know, a lot of this uh, Coruscant and with Cyril reminds me of um, Stanley Kubrick, especially the stuff with him and his mother, the way that their interactions are directed in this one where she's spying on him and stuff. And oh, her listening on the call. Oh, it's hilarious. Um, and uh, but the way they film it and, and present it is very st- Kubrickian, especially like a Clockwork Orange. It reminds me of a clock. Maybe it's their act, the way they talk and and stuff. But like, I love the comedy phone call in the middle of this episode. And as things are broiling, we get a comedy, a nice little comedy scene where you know um, his his friend, you know his 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 only buddy. Is you know his only buddy who he like drops like a rock in the next episode, which I will have a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He has to. He has to. His buddy. His buddy's not very strong in the Imperial. He's 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 uh, he's just a he's just a dude that like likes being a cop, but doesn't have any like isn't ideological in any way. And so if he sees something horrible, he still has some basic, you know, human <laughs> empathy. But uh yeah, I love that I love that fo- I love that phone call where he gets enough information from it but his buddy just doesn't get anything cuz he's just he just can't hear can't hear him and keeps giving, you know, the wrong answer or you know, answering him in the wrong way. But still getting the necessary information out there that that tells him like you got to you got to get there. But uh yeah, that's all I got for this act. I'm just shoved a cheese in my mouth. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eating. I'm I'm eating chips too. I was starting to get a little lightheaded. I'm like, I better eat some food. Eat food! Oh my god, we're breaking the podcast Stuff rule of all times. Yeah, yeah. It's been a rough this... eight months, guys. Hell yeah, we gotta just do the best we can. I was listening to our last episode, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I did offer a wet cheese it from my mouth to Charles." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're my friend. Anyway, I'll just put another cheese in my mouth. What the fuck? <laughs> um, okay, let me actually focus. Um, uh, I the, the girls got through my biggest notes, but I do still have an, uh, uh, another one, but um, a few others. I love the world building of Ferrix. I think the very cool thing about it is if you want to build a really strong fantasy sci-fi world, I think it's important to have the occasional like dialogue that is just for that world. And what I'm what I'm talking about in this case is when Brasso comes back to for a B2 email and he says Marva's not here. She's in the stone now. And that's such a good world building line. Like we know about the brick and stuff like that. But you know like. That's just something you know that they just say around there. Like oh my father's in the stone now. Oh I'm sorry for your loss. Like that. You like they would know what that meant. It but sounds it's very a- Irish to me. You know. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something like out in the countryside of Ireland. that they, they say you know maybe because of the Blarney stone or whatever. But like yeah just like she's in the stone now. And. I mean, we saw earlier in the in the season where, you know, um, Marva was checking out her husband's stone that was in the wall, you know, so it, it's it fills in this whole like. 
probably not as much religion, although there's probably some religion tied in there too. But you know, mm-hmm. the tradition, the tradition of putting putting either I don't know, maybe they maybe they burn the bodies and and put them into the stone, or they, we do know uh, actually, Marva uh, 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 Dedra. It's someone ex- somebody explains it to Dedra on her call. And they uh, mix the ashes and with the the and brick cement. Clay. Okay, that's probably why it was yeah. in my bra- that idea was in my brain. Yeah, that's how uh, they explain it that to um, to Dedra in her scene. Um, but yeah, like there's actually a lot of like very fascinating traditions things too because like going back to the culty Girl Scouts, their whole thing is about braiding um, and like the importance of braids and the binding of braids. And with Ferex, they have the tradition of stone and like building their, essentially building their planet and their homes from the bones of their ancestors. You know, they just, uh, they find a wall and they like, that is their graveyard to make it like part of their world. And in both cases, both the culty Girl Scouts and something like with this with Brasso, the empire is coming in trying to take that away from them. And I just, I just find it very fascinating to me. I just. There's a lot of, I didn't realize that now my brain's just like, haha, traditions. You know, if you want a backup song of the episode, play some Fiddler on the Roof about right now. Um, it's funny, that was exactly the song that was playing in my head this video. Traditions! Tradition! Tradition! Anyway. Um, okay, I do want to. Uh, you actually covered a good chunk of my Mon Mothma notes. The one thing I uh, that didn't get touched on that you didn't cover already. Um, was I love this? I I I didn't want to go back and watch because I didn't have time, but I kind of love this whole back and forth where Mon doesn't know whether or not Vel was behind Aldani. She has her suspicions that Vel had something to do with Aldani, but she doesn't know for sure. Meanwhile, you have Vel sitting there going, "Oh my God." I'm the reason my cousin is about to be fucked over because of Aldani. Yep. And that that is just such wonderful acting on them both. Because, I mean, Mon can't blame Val. They were both doing their rebellion things. And it just happened to be that well, Val I mean, is screwing over her cousin in this. Yeah, but the, the, that's the thing is, though, it's like, it's this... And they they sort of they sort of flesh that out in the beginning where it's like, yeah, when 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 we the, when we strike a first blow, there's going to be negative like negative consequences because nobody that's wants true. To, that's nobody one wants of Mon's, to, that's nobody one of Mon's wants opening scenes. When you're going to strike that first blow, you know that there's going to be like all of a sudden there's going to be all those prisoners in the in you know building those parts there because they're, they they they're going to have to crack down and be symbolic about it so they knew that they were going to just set off a shit show for everybody it's going to be a shit show for everybody and and there's no getting away from it that's the same with and Cassian experienced that because he got he got a, he the reason he got arrested is because of that heist they pulled he didn't do anything but it, the heist they pulled just caused the empire to be like, "All right, let's just take in a lot of prisoners, and we need workers, you know. And now we have an excuse, just just start arresting people, you know. And and you know, Cassie had had his money, and he was about to like go fly off to some remote world with Marva, and and nope, 
you, you can't get away from you know you can't get away from it you know it's mm-hmm. it's gonna happen yep um and just like a tiny tiny like sort of note uh, about the whole scene with mon and vel it does not rain a lot in star wars so it's always nice when they have rain in scenes because i can only think of a few scenes off the top of my head where Episode they have rain two. yeah yep uh, episode eight in the last Jedi, it's raining um, on Octo at one point because I remember Ray sticking her hand out because you know she's from a desert planet That's and she's right. like That's and right. she's like oh my god rain water um, coming from the sky I know and um, I remember the first time they put rain in Clone Wars it was the first scene that they used clone commanders because Dave Filoni was talking about it in the behind the scenes. And uh, the clone commandos, that's what it is. Um, and Dave Filoni was like, that was a very expensive scene. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a good reason there's not much rain in the animated shows. It's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like there's just there's not always rain in Star Wars. And so when there is rain in Star Wars, I just think it's really neat because it does add to the scene of a nice background to the scene of Mon Mothma and Vel and setting the tone and the mood and stuff like that. So. Uh, everything else is tiny notes. Uh, I think it would be hilarious if Edie thinks Cyril has a crush on a boy named Andor. (laughs) (laughs) Because she got into his special box. And what if it's just full of Andor stuff? (laughs) Like stuff, like all it has in it is like the picture of Cassian that he stares at intently. Um, I love the idea that the hotel maid staff are really bad at their jobs, and that's the only reason Cassian still has his money. <laughs> because really all he does bad. is hide it on top of a shower. Just just sitting there, yeah. And it's yeah. Like, does no one dust up there? Does no one clean? Like, like how moldy is well, it? Well, it seems there like that well, it seems like that's kind of a no-tell motel type place, so you know. That's true, because the first time we saw it, he was definitely bedoinking a lady. It's where it's where it's where where you go when you bought the company of a of a bedoinker. But but yeah, a bedoinker or bedoinky. <laughs> a bedoinke. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, we obviously there was a there was a human, at least at least the top part of a human. We don't know what was going on under the sheets, but a human with a weird squid creature, in the currently using the room when he got there. Good for them. Good yeah, for them. God bless them. I'm sure that those like tentacles, those face tentacles, could do a lot of good on nether bits. Maybe it was a young Pelly. No, it can't be because she said she had never left tattooing before. Oh, okay. So it's too bad it can't be a young Pelly, but canonically, she specifically tells Din she's never left the planet before. I do remember that because I have this like really I, I want it at some point for them to take Pelly somewhere. Like I have that in my head, like it's like marked in my brain. Um so yeah. Um and my last thing that I have is uh this episode does a good job of moving everything into place for the finale without feeling heavy handed about it. Oh no, it's not it's yeah, it's 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 really just sort of nuts and bolts moving it forward no you know but you can sometimes tell like when a when a show is doing that like this oh, show yeah. this makes they it feel really playing, natural like start playing heavier mute and start editing and stuff this is just moving forward mm-hmm. i love how they did i love how they did this is one of those rare shows where they did it right 
it reminds me actually i just i was reminded of this show when i went to see the um godzilla minus one movie where i was watching it it's great oh you you would love it especially i've never really seen uh godzilla other than the matthew broderick when i was a child this is the first godzilla movie with serious movie character work in it, you know, human character work in it. There's human characters in all Godzilla movies, but they're usually not that interesting or not that well developed. Or if they are developed, it's just sort of in a movie sense. This, the drama in this movie is compelling. At the end of, at the end of Godzilla minus one, when, when the lights came up, there were people sobbing in the theater. Did you know that um, the director of that movie wants to do a Star Wars? Like, he's been on record saying mm-hmm. that he would love to do a Star Wars. God bless him. He made that movie for $15 million. And it's as special effects heavy as a, nah, not as a Star Wars, but it's up there. And really good, too. Yeah, he would, he, I mean... The action, the action scenes are on point and, and really, and it's really the first, like, really, truly horrific Godzilla movie since the original Godzilla movie, where Godzilla is a monster. He's a monster. That's it. You're, you're trying to kill him. He's not a monster. Usually Godzilla is the, the standard thing in most Godzilla movies is he's a monster in the first movie like they did in the American ones or the, or the uh, Matthew Broderick one. And then in the next movie, he's a monster that comes out, but this time he ends up fighting off another monster, you know? So it becomes Godzilla versus different monsters for each movie. This one was just like, we got to get him out of, we got to get him out of Tokyo because we're already, you know, war torn, you know, (laughs) We just lost the war, and now here comes Godzilla. It's really good. It had a, but it was one of those movies where I'm like, all their decisions were were right decisions. All their decisions served the 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 whole. You know, everything in it worked together with everything else to it had you know to to bring the point and the feeling of the 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 project to you know to the front at all times, and. Uh, yeah, it, it like, you know, yeah. And that's what Andor's like. It's like he it does a lot of things that like as a especially for something on TV that you appreciate that like they're they're not talking down to the the viewer. They're they're you got to keep up, you know. It's they're not you know, I I I love it. I love it, you know. Mhm. So you're you saying know. you hate it. Oh, that's what I said. Yeah, he, every, you know. Yeah. Yep, everyone. Um, that's all I have for Act 2. Did you have anything else? I do not. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to wrap, wrap this, this, this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Vogon up? I was going to say Lizard Monster up. Okay, either one. Go, go, Godzilla. Actually, we should unwrap Yoda's feet so they can air. Oh. Hmm. Maybe we can pay I was, somebody. I was thinking we just like seal him in lucite and <laughs> let him walk around with two blocks. Uh, He's got the force. He can just float around. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to pay a lot of money to get that taken care of. Uh, 
the floor is moving, Chris. It's well, still moving little, from where he walked. <laughs> those little, those little, his his little like floaty chair that he used to have. I looked one of those up on eBay, and they're just out of our price range. Yeah. Oh, the ones that like. Uh, oh, what about the um little crab walker thing that Palpatine uses in Episode One? Yeah, hey, uh, you can't get parts for those when they break down, though. Chris, I just remembered something. There are three anniversaries this year that we haven't talked about. Oh, really? Phantom Menace turns 25 in May. Holy cow. Caravan of Courage turns 40 in, I believe, November. And Star Wars Rebels, which is the one that gets me the most, turns 10 in October. Okay, that feels... Oh, my God. Right? 10. It's 10 years old, Chris. Wow. It's 10. Because it started... Right before we started J Guys, a year before we yeah. started J Guys, we're gonna be ten next year, I think. Wow, yeah, that how... it's getting close. Oh man, remember when we had our hundred? How else we had do a you bunch get three hundred and seventy-five episodes? <laughs> mm-hmm. So more than that, you know, we're pushing four hundred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, by the way, I found out that Charles is about to have their three-year anniversary on uh, Gold Squadron Gay. So happy anniversary, Charles and Bradley. So. At this point, Charles is kind of like a mini co-podcaster. We just talk about him so much. But Well, three years is an eternity in podcast world. It's very, it really it's a very is. rare podcast that makes it to three years. Mm-hmm. Makes it to a year, even. If you make it to a year, you're doing really good. Mm-hmm. I th- What is it like the, uh, the um, go- like most people fail after like three to five episodes or something? I would. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about I like that. Could- don't ask where hope makes chris watch cartoons is guys <laughs> it's more than five episodes that's true i still haven't finished the last of the weird mageddon episodes don't ask where those are bill cypher ate them anyway act three act three luthan rail goes to visit saul guerrera saul wants to join on krieger's mission but luthan reveals that krieger is going into a trap this makes Saul paranoid, thinking that Luthen is a traitor, and Luthen has to talk his way out of it. Afterwards, Luthen calls Clea to update her before he is found by an Imperial vessel. Luthen escapes after some very fancy flying. Cyril Karn steals from his mother, and he finally leaves Coruscant to go after Andor. And finally, Cassian calls home to Zanwin and finds out about Marva's passing. The end. I will say I kind of like I like on one hand like well it's J guys flavor that I like talk about these like recasts for like ten minutes and I make them up. It is kind of nice every once in a while that they're very short. <laughs> this is how I, this is how I always wrote um, you know when I would when I would sum up episodes because I would I I always I was always just interested in like seeing seeing how how you could get you know the the most the most information in the least amount of time you know how to do it concisely yet interestingly but hey listeners if you I like think my, this i think my instincts it... are wrong i think my instincts are wrong because both you and scott gardner do long things and i, I think it, it just depends on the the show because like people like having a story told to them you know yeah have, i, I like, think somebody... it really just depends though since this is like i said at the beginning of the episode i'm stealing this from gold squadron gaze because this is how they do their recaps when they talk about episodes like they'll do like a little bit at a time just like this and then they'll talk about it like we've been 
Um, I would love to see Bradley do it my way. Just saying, Chris mm. and Charles, who's our mysterious third podcaster, apparently. Anyway, what do you think about three? Well, like I said, this might be my favorite part because I really love, and this is my second time watching the 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 little scene with Saw and, and Luthen. Oh, it's so good. Just It's, it's so just, good. It's Force Whitaker and Stellan Skarsgård just yeah. being amazing for literally five minutes. Like yeah, I, no, two, I, I looked Oscar at it. It's, level it's a five actors, scene. you know, and and I thought I, in my memory that scene was more fraught with anger, like like that saw was more like you cannot do this. But it, the second time it was just way more subtle. It was like I have it written down, written down, um, with Saw Guerrero being the ideological radical and um with Luthen being the pragmatic extremist. Yeah, and it's like and, him like talking uh, Saw off a ledge, essentially, because Saw is like ready to blow everything up. And, to, well, he also knows Saw's, Saw's mentally, like, he's PTSD, he's mental paranoia, you know? Yeah, and he plays the paranoia to the point where he throws his second-in-command under the bus enough oh. to pull a blaster on him to be like, okay, listen to me now. Yeah, no, he triggers the paranoia and then he talks him Purposely. down to it. He manipulates him, yeah. But yeah, I, he that might be just a, a tool he's developed for dealing with. This is how, this is the only reason. The only way you can get Saw Guerrera to make sense is get him. I had a roommate like this. It was, like if he was in a bad mood and scrappy, you had to fight with him to get him past it, and then he was fine, you know. But you had to like have. So he's got a. He's got a. Oh, he, he knows so the paranoia tiring. is coming, so he brings it on, and then he gets past it, and then, and and Saw really, you know, they they are in agreement. Saw, but Saw just like needs the details cleared up, and like you you really wanna you really wanna throw, throw Krieger to the wolves, and and then you can also sort of see the point with Forrest Whitaker where he realizes, well, he's sparing me though. You know, I could have very well, you know, I was getting ready to go help Krieger, and now he's stopping me from doing that. So. You know, I'm not get at least I'm not getting thrown under the bus and then start plot armor's a hell of a thing. And then start yeah, and then start thinking well, then he starts thinking why would you want to throw why would you wanna you would want the, the and he was sort of doing we're gonna go do a surprise help to him and something, you know, no, you want you don't wanna you don't you know, he's regrettably throwing the gut Krieger under the bus. But it's like they both they both come to the conclusion, but they come to it in different ways because they're different. And and you know the ideological ra- radical um, saw says uh, for the greater good, and the pragmatic guy says call it what you will. <laughs> it's just what we got to do, you know. But but you know um, saw has to put it in an ideological framework for it to work for him. So he's like, this is for the greater good, and and Luthen's just like. You got to do what you got to do, you know. <laughs> Luthen's actually a little, you know, like as far as when they talk about Saw being a violent radical, Luthen is way more cold blooded than Saw. <laughs> and yeah, and he he plays the whole that whole encounter perfectly. It's it's just wonderful, and it's like it's the second the second major Skarsgård. You know, just him standing somewhere and talking and, you know, this just intense scene. It's it's great. And uh, 
Then my favorite, just fun part of the episode is him escaping from from the Imperials, and the the you know the way the way Jesse yeah. handles it, Styles and his shit, and like this is a, this is his is the first ship after the Ghost, where I'm like that, like I would like I would like a little model of Luthen's ship. It's so, it's 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 just so neat neatly designed and just a. A, a cool looking little little sleek ship sleek and still sort of squared off at the same time it's neat and i wrote um uh, 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 uh like aliens the show doesn't do space bottles but when they do they're amazing yeah and this wasn't like like a crazed battle but it it the the way the tension builds in it and the way you know they show you know there's nobody, you know, in a lesser one, you would have the computer going, uh, we'll release the, you know, cluster bombs and that will, they'll be drawn right to the, their, you know, tractor nope, beam. No, it's just visual the, storytelling. Nope, you just show, you just do it and you see what's happening and go like, oh, you know, it's very mm-hmm. obvious what's happening. And, and then but at the end. you know what the funny thing is? Because um, Andor is more of a thriller than a Star Wars, but this space battle the way it's shot, the cinematography, how it's handled, it feels very Rogue One. It does not feel yes. very Star Wars to me. It feels very specifically Rogue One. Well, it should. You know, that's yes. what I'm, I'm sure that's how it is. It is the creator. They... It is the director of Rogue One. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so it should. But um, it well, does feel very much in the same vein. Like, they, and, they are the same. And hot take for me, in all the new non-Lucas Star Wars movie, all the Disney Star Wars movies... The only one that could that had at decent to the point of not even decent but really good action sequences was Rogue One. Hell yeah! All the other ones had action sequences, but they don't, you know. And he didn't, you know. He definitely took from Lucas for the how they did it, but he also does them within his own style, and it was they were very effective. Whereas all the other star Wars movies have been, you know, there's good sequences in it and they're fun, but there's, you know, it's, they're not as well done. And, and the, and Andor and the, um, and rogue one have actually had like, you know, fun special effects sequences that are great, you know? So, and this was one of them and it was just a, Kind of, it was just one ship versus another ship, and then a few Tie Fighters at the end. But you got to see the cool, the cool thing of how lizards. of how it destroyed the the um the the tracking beam. Yes, like dish. That is so cool. So cool. Are we both eating? I'm eating some chips. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm my food yet. Um, but that's all I really got for Act Three. This is the ASMR section of the Jack Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I promise not to have a, a do an AMSR section because I just do not want to find out what will happen when Yoda shows up. It's going to be the sound of wet socks coming off. And more. <laughs> oh. Um. All right. Everyone ready? It's time for everyone's least favorite segment that everybody oh, hates Jesus. and have right. told I'm, me multiple. It's been eight months, I'm guys. Now, 
I'm muting out so you can't hear my eyes rolling. Yeah, it's time for the segment that everybody hates for eight months. It's been back. Ready? Today I'll give you is... some AMSR. It's AMSR of my eyes squishing around in my head. <laughs> Today in the Is Luthen a Hidden Jedi Theory? <laughs> I'm gonna, pausing for groaning. Um, all I will say is um, in the segment where he first arrives and he's outside of Solid's complex and the guy is like looking at his little staff thing and he's like, either give it, either give it back or do something with it or something like that. There's been a lot of speculation around that staff of whether or not it's his lightsaber. Like, because it's, it's a little bit longer because it's like, you know, it's staff and stuff like that. But it is kind of ornate in a way that's both kind of simple. And it could be like, you know, like when those they have those hidden swords inside canes and stuff like that. Um, so there's been a lot of speculation about that little staff of his and if that's his lightsaber. He's so an antique dealer. Whatever that is, it means something. He wouldn't antique dealers don't carry antique guys don't carry around something like a cane, especially something that's like sort of part of you. There's there's something that it's something. Mm hmm. I do believe that it's some sort of weapon um, because he also has it on Ferrix with him. So like, even if it's not a lightsaber, I do believe it's some sort of weapon just to defend himself with. So, um, and that is the end of everyone's least favorite theory. There you go. And I actually think that's the last one, except for he does wear his cloak up like a Jedi in Rick's road, but we'll have Robin next time. So I'm not going to go into that theory with Robin here because I'm sure they'd be like, why hope why? <laughs> Um, so, uh, the one thing I wanted to add to the Saul and Luthen not trusting each other scene, what I find really fascinating about that is how neither of them, to our knowledge, what well, uh, I'm, I'm saying to our knowledge, because we don't know where Luthen ends up, but we do know where Saul ends up, so I'm kind of using him as the base for this. There's a reason they're not in charge of the rebellion later, and Mon Mothma is. And I think it is the lack of trust. Because Mon is someone who brings people together. She is the one who values people and trust and loyalty and all that. And we see this in Rebels when she's having that debate with Saul. And Saul's like, you're not attacking. You're not doing these things. And she's like, you attack civilians. You make us look bad. You know, we need to build trust and that's the thing, like, Mon represents um, the Rose Tico of line of she's fighting to save what she loves, not fighting what she hates. Uh, only backwards. Say that backwards. Uh, <laughs> but that's not Saul and that's not Luthen. Like, they are just totally in war mode. And and there's a reason. And, like, and all three have value and merit. Like, they all three, you know, I think you were the one that was saying that, like, when it comes to rebellion, like you need different people. You need someone who is the Saul Guerrero fighting on the front lines. And then you need people like pulling in money, like Mon Mothma. Like everybody has their role. But I do think there's someone who speaks to people like, like, like Cassian. Like yeah. Mon, uh, not Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma is a political arm. But I, like I would Cassian's say the one Melchie. who like on the ground. Like Melshi and Nimic, actually, I would say. Because Cassian's just now starting to step into that role. He's like, he's really like getting there, but like Nimic and Melshi, like Melshi at the end of this episode, it's like, we gotta tell people, bro, let's go. We're separate. That gives us our best chance. We're gonna tell everybody. We're gonna shout it from the rooftops. Like, that is Melshi's road. I think like Cassian is almost there. 
Um, he's like like a step away from that. But I do think that's that's really really fascinating that when we get to like rebels in Rogue One, there's a reason that Mon's in charge, and not Saul, and not Luthen to our knowledge because we don't know what happens to Luthen in season two. And I just I just think that's this this scene is really telling of a different side of the war. So I I think Luthen's plan is to to work the dirty end until he dies. He knows mm-hmm. like if he works that dirty end he's going to die and he probably yeah, figures yeah. probably figures when I die that'll be about the you know there's going to be a time where you don't want Luthen or Saw Gerrera involved at all cuz they're bad bug lug baggage. Bad mm-hmm. I almost said bad luggage. They're bad luggage. <laughs> yeah, their wheels don't roll straight and they they they'll become you know they'll become more of a a detriment to the to the rebellion so i think luthan just plans to and he knows there'll be some some point where he's just like well <laughs> somebody's got to set this bomb off you know and mm-hmm. that'll be that and i have a feeling that like all the other parts of it, you know i don't think there's any other parts of his life at this point you know he no, doesn't he seem said, to have he, a family or he said it in that big monologue to i think his name was lonnie the isb guy he was just like, I'm fighting for a sunset that uh, a sunrise I will never see. Yeah. Um, wow. So, um, moving on to Cyril, I legit, the first time I watched this, because I had missed, I missed the point that Edie had left. And all I saw was Cyril like coming into his house. And I totally thought it was going to pan over and like Edie's dead body would be in the corner. It would not surprise well, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It would like I legitimately thought Cyril was going to kill his mother in this episode. I thought that like you know he would open her safe, take her money, and as he walked out, the camera would follow him and then stop on Edie's body as he kept walking out the shot. Like it wouldn't surprise me because that's who he is, and it's filmed like he's a serial killer. Like he's like waiting outside for her to leave. It's a long hallway shot from behind. His as first he, like, name comes is Serial. His his name is yeah. Like and he he eats cereal. Oh. oh. <laughs> but yeah, like jokes aside, like I legitimately would not have been surprised if he killed Edie this episode. But, of course, he gets a hard-on for Lady Justice, and, like, you'd never probably, you know, he'd never be able to join the Empire. But it also wouldn't have surprised me if he, like, shoved her body down a trash compactor. So. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I love all the coded talk with Luthen and Cleo when they're talking about the buyer, but they're really talking about Saul and Andor. Um, and the other big note I had, I had this, like, brain idea. Here's my tinfoil hat theory of how Luthen starts his downfall because of Cyril. You ready? Okay. In the space battle, all they hear is his voice, right? There is no consequences for Luthen in season one about fighting these Imperials. But I would not be surprised if it comes up later because... In the season one finale that we're going to save see next year, Cyril saves Dedra from the riot. So he's more than likely going to get a job in the Empire, probably. <clears throat> and earlier in the show, Cyril was very adamant when he was being interrogated that he remembered Luthen's voice. 
that he knew what Luthen sounded like, that he could point out what Luthen sounded like, that he put it to memory. And these Imperials heard Luthen. And wouldn't it just be swell if they, you know, saved a recording, maybe to like for training, because they got their asses kicked by the little dishes getting destroyed by it. They and when they wouldn't know who he was, but they'd at least know that they'd, you know, brushed brushed up against and you know. wouldn't it be fascinating if Cyril heard it and now they know what Luthen's ship looks like? Yep. Yep, yep. That could be so like even though Luthen has no consequences in season one for this, oh boy, there's a character in this show who would recognize what he sounded like, and that is Cyril. And I could see this being the beginning of Luthen's downfall in season two. So um I'm going to uh uh Diego Luna when he finds out about Marvel Marva's death. Diego Luna did oh come on, brain. We're almost through it. Diego Luna is so good in that scene. And I think it's because he plays the regret very well. Because the last time Cassian and Marva were together, they fought. They had a fight that he wanted her to come with him and she refused and he left and they fought. And you can see that regret hit him on the face. And that regret is very real and palpable when you have that crashing of emotions that you suddenly realize all the things you didn't do. It is, um, it is a really uh, palpable feeling that you feel when someone passes. Um, so also, hello, uh, not so subtle Rogue One Beach Sunset. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. the, the the fiery sunset in the background of like Cassian being on the beach. I hope season two kind of ends with him on a beach. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? There are certain <laughs> things that they're doing that kind of tie- I- I feel season two is going to end with him just uh, going to meet the guy that he shoots at the beginning of Rogue One. I hope it open. I hope the last scene is the first scene of Rogue One. Like not even meeting. Like they bring back that actor who played the guy, and that is the last scene of the show. Um, but yeah, I it's so I like this show is rarely like really fucking on the nose, but that is so purposely really fucking on the nose that I kind of love it about it. They're like, look, it's the Rogue One scene that's coming. Well, it's on the nose in the way Star Wars does that. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so. And um, uh, the very last note I have is the very serious note of man, Melchi looks really sexy in beachwear. They look like they are like they could be boyfriends. I love them. <laughs> he looks like his he looks so nice in that like blue like patterned button up shirt with his like big puffy pants. Like no, she looks hot. I love him. So um that's all I have for Act Three. Did you have anything else? I do not. All right. Well, score up the episode for me, Chris, and why? I gave it an 8.5 just because I can't give every episode a 10 in, right. in this. And uh, so I'm going on a curve and, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic, but it's, it's not a 10 because it's just, a, it's that kind of tying up the, tying up loose ends and setting up the end. 
you know, transitory episode, but I mean, it's a banger. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, not a wasted scene, not a wasted shot, not a wasted line in the whole thing. And, and it's got me even more hyped up for the last episode, which is the, which the, it, 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 the the build up of this show actually lives up to the build up or the the ending of the show lives up to the build up mhm so an 8.5 yes hey guess what we tied i just see that hey Fair. no because it's kind of the same thing like that is and honestly like this 8.5 is tens compared to other star wars yes. you know yes like this is a twenty compared to season three of Mando. <laughs> like this is a twenty, um, but it, it, it's for all the same reasons that you said too. Um, it's it's just um, moving everything into place, but really well done. And it is not heavy handed, but boy, there are some juicy bits. Like, like I really yeah. like those Girl Scouts. That scene is just so fascinating to me. Like. This could have been just a very basic move, everything into place, but they still found places to make it very juicy by adding the culty Girl Scouts, by adding the aliens that are incredibly layered, helping them because the Empire has destroyed their planet. Um, Like, there's still so many layers on what is simply an episode of putting everybody in place. And it's really well done. And I also gave it an 8.5 because I cannot give every episode a 10. <laughs> so, Well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, the Two True Freaks Facebook page, or on Discord, our Discord channel. And so it took me some digging to find old feedback. And a lot of it is just kind of eight months old <laughs> and, like, wasn't really relevant anymore. Um, so... As we start getting back into this, uh, I wanted to start this first feedback section showcasing someone who has given our show a lot of love over the last eight months. Though, he is listening to Jay Guys and Jedi from the beginning, Chris. And last time I heard, he was only in season five of Clone Wars as of like January last week. Um, so it might take him some time to hear this. But I wanted That's to give cool. a big. I'm 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 happy to get like you know time capsule um, feedback. You know. Yeah. So um, his name is Andrew Beckett, and he's a buddy of ours on Twitter. And he started at the beginning of J Guys and Jedi, and he's listening all the way through. And so we're like pushing for a hundred episodes because like holy shit, Andrew. Um, so he still has like rebels and resistance and Mando and bad batch and all this to do, but like he's been, Andrew has been so nice giving us a lot of shout outs, um, on Twitter. So these are just some of the very nice thing that he has said to us about our show over the last eight months. And I wanted to share them with you cause yeah. And say thank you. So take it away, Chris. All right. Let me make sure I've got the. Okay. Um, the first one is that I'm up to season five. Yes. Uh, okay. It says, uh, I'm up to season five of, Clo- of the Clone Wars on the J Guys and Jedi podcast and hoping Chris offers some pretty interesting views on fandom and what they loves, what we loves. <laughs> and, uh, and then these, these are about uh, when sharing about women in fandom. Is that both of these next two? Well, yes, the oh, first it's one. the next one. 
Yeah, I'd recommend Hope and her podcast, Jay Guys and Jedi. I'm now up to the episode on Eminence. I can only wonder how the reactions will go from the, there, though I did catch an hour of the Princess Mononoke commentary, so he skipped forward quite a bit for that one. Oh, man, Princess Mononoke was such a good episode, Chris. Mm-mm-mm. That was, um, that was such a I good know commentary. I have yeah. I I'm kind of psyched to see the new the new movie's out isn't it is it, it is it is it came out it came out in um December Did it, it might be coming to streaming soon actually because it's Ooh. been out since December I'd love um, to see it on the big screen though the boy and the heron heck yeah I've been like um actually we could ask Robin about it next week because uh they saw it and they were like have you seen it yet and I was like no I haven't life's been hard and they were like come on hope all reviews like, I've heard of it have been really have been really sounding like it's like just basically like up to snuff so which means mm-hmm. amazing. oh yeah absolutely so all Actually, right, he, the last uh, Cinema Therapy, the YouTube channel that I really love about them therapizing, therapizing, ther- doing therapy mm-hmm. with like um, TV shows and movies and stuff like that. They just did Princess Mononoke and it was so good. So if you want to hear a therapist, there, yeah. yeah, if you want to hear a therapist talk about Princess Mononoke, go look up Cinema Therapy. It was a fucking good episode. I'd like to hear him um, hear him tackle the palps. Or grievy. I know. Good, I, I know they've so. done hero. I know they've done a few of. I think villain therapy for Anakin, and I think they did um, on on their side channel, Mended Light. They've tackled both Ahsoka and Obi Wan um, on over on Mended Light, which is the therapist's side channel. But I don't know if they've done a villain therapy on Palpatine. I don't I think they have. That. Anyway, yeah. there's one one more from Andrew. Is uh, when promoting other Star Wars podcasts, and I've mostly s- stuck with Star Wars Explained and J Guys and Jedi for long Star Wars discussions. But they both have collabs, co- collabs, collabs, collabs with other creators. So I may check some of them out. I'm particularly inc- intrigued by Gold Squadron Gaze, hosted by Charles Rogers. If it's not obvious how often we brought up Charles in this episode, we fucking love them. So yes, Andrew, go listen to Gold Squadron Gaze. I fucking stole their episode formatting tonight. That's how much we love them. I'm actually also very excited because I got to take a two-week trip to Florida and all I'm, I'm going to be doing a shit ton of driving, and I'm like, I'm saving all of their Ahsoka coverage for that trip. <laughs> so I'm very excited. I thought you were going to say something like uh, you were going to. I don't know where Charles lives. I don't. If he told me, I don't remember because my brain is dead. But I thought you were going to say like I'm, I'm sleeping he, over one night at Charles's house on the way down there. He lives in the beautiful magical land of West Coast. So no, oh. though I am, I'm actually really excited about this and I actually, I'll go ahead and mention it to you now because I was thinking about it. I'm going to get to go to Galaxy's Edge for the first time. Yeah, I, I, I know. And so um, I am looking forward to seeing Batu because um, I'm actually going with uh, Candace and Arzu from the Kiki Waffles. And actually, I'm actually going with a lot of people who've been guests. So like Can- both Candace and Arzu from the Waffles have been on their show. I'm seeing Ali from Knights of Ren, who was on all- some of our Resistance episodes with Darth Buggles. Um, that's where we really did the whole Darth Buggles. So I'm going to be actually seeing Ali, as well as Brad from Friends of the Force, who was on our Bebo episode for Resistance. Um, and then... 
we're meeting with Alex Leonas from Lipstick and Lightsabers and Britt Barnum, who is a professional photographer friend of ours. And so we're all like, all of us are getting together and going to Galaxy's all right, Edge so there's together. Gonna, there's going to be some pictures then, I guess. There's going to be so many pictures. I'm very excited about seeing Galaxy's Edge for the first time. Um, so yeah, like I, it's, it's kind of be like, now I think about it, like almost everybody except for Alex and Britt have been on Jagos and Jedi. And I'm very excited about seeing everybody. And yeah, so I'm going to get to go to Galaxy's Edge for the first time. So, but uh, I have thought about possibly like making a trip out to the West and seeing the, some of my uh, flat companions before. I don't know where I would stay though. Everything looks expensive in those hotels. <laughs> those are very expensive hotels. So, doesn't, um, doesn't anybody have a couch you could crash on? I don't want to like invite myself to people's houses. No, you say something like, "I'm planning a trip to the West Coast. I need couches to crash on." Is no, it'd be more like, "I'm planning trips to the West Coast. What are the cheap hotels I can stay in?" Yeah, like, that that'll work too. That's the passive aggressive way. Then they go, "Oh no, hope don't stay at a hotel." No, but I wouldn't. Like impose, like I seriously wouldn't want to impose. Oh my god, dude, I, I don't know. Like, like, I don't know. Like, I've never not like like been excited to like <coughs> hang out and mingle with the people that like I've I've basically just hung out with online. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, impose. I know. But I'm not gonna like invite myself to like other Chris or Charles or Jess's house and just be like, well, "Hey, that's where I'm that's here. where you and me are different people." Hope <laughs> I'm not. I'm gonna at least like look at the hotels first. You could offer to bribe them too. You could be like, "Hey, you know, you, you I can play, cook. Want to play? You want to play bed and breakfast?" And you know, that sounds that sounds dirty. <laughs> I don't want to play bed and breakfast with Charles. I listen. I adore Charles. I'm not going to play bread and breakfast at his house, <laughs> like him and his boyfriend. Like, no, thank well, you. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you know, like, you know, you know, you want to play hotel where I come in, like, I buy, I stock up your fridge, and you know, I do make a very mean chicken pot pie. Right, you know, you know, mm -hmm. there's there's things guests can do for the, and I, the, I do make a very delicious having, um miso maple salmon having a guest that that like is making a rare trip to the west coast is also usually about is usually enough for most people you i've know? actually never been that far west i think the furthest west i've ever been is a little bit past st louis that's as far west as i i ever been um so yeah i, I, I haven't been it. to the west coast in a long time but the west coast i've had fun every time i've been to like i've been to california i've been to oregon I ha yeah, I've actually um, a college friend that lives up in Oregon, and she runs a uh, theater. Uh, she she helps runs a, a theater production place. Um, so I, I've thought about like swinging up and seeing her too, uh, if I ever made a West Coast trip. So that's money I don't have. It'll be fine. Um, so, but I would not want to impose. I don't just invite myself to people's houses to play bed and breakfast with Daniel and Charles. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah, they I, huh? They would just hate that, I'm sure. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I'm sure Dan I don't know what Charles is thinking, guys. Charles, let me know in the, the Discord what we're thinking. Right Charles, now. what's the matter with you? Why won't you let Hope stay at your house? Chris. Come on, man. Lighten <laughs> up. I don't know. 
we don't have candy. Where can people find you? Actually, did you have, any, <laughs> did you have anything else for the episode? I do not. Okay. Well, then, where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at Two True Freaks, our podcast website, twotruefreaks.com. And we have all our podcasts there, all sectioned off. You can find all the J Guys and Jedi episodes and all the other ones with this 475 or 400, 375 J Guys and Jedi episodes. And we have other. We have other podcasts with higher numbers than that, like Back to the Bins, and uh, but not many that have more than three seventy-five. So we're uh, we're up there in the you know Scott Gardner and I hit the five hundreds with our hell yeah fuck uh, y'all. I think we're we're chasing you back to the bins. We're coming. No, yeah, but that's the thing is Back to the Bins is still going now too. So there's Shut just up. no way we can catch up with them. They're going weekly too. Hope. Oh God. Still going weekly what are they too, at? Like so. six? What are they at? Like five hundred? Back to the bins? No, I yeah. think back to the bins is past a grand. I think. Oh my god, are you fucking kidding me? No. Oh my god. We don't fuck oh around god. here at Two True Freaks, Shit. man. Yeah, back to the bin. Back to the bins oh, is yeah, the oldest, since- oldest running. We started in two thousand and eight. I don't right. know if back to the bins since- started. It. I think back to the bins might have started right at the beginning of Two True Freaks. They, so. they were very early, like if not two thousand eight, they were like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Like it's, they, it's that they were going when I was still in college and I graduated in two thousand ten. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's so. the longest. Ah. I mean, it's it's changed, it's changed lineups in that time because it's been going. So it, it started out with Scott Gardner and this like kid that was a listener and and like he would like this high school kid and they would be doing the show and the kid's father would be sleeping in the in his barca lounger next to you know just right next to the kid so you about halfway through (laughs) it was great (laughs) okay according to their episode that came out yesterday it was number 602 oh i have to to remember that we also had a website changeover in 2020 so i don't know how many episodes were lost Oh no, there were no episodes lost, so they're only okay. twenty. Okay, never mind then. But still, um, that's still get to... close to double our six hundred is a is a lot. It's, it's a lot to make up in there. That's like two hundred and twenty five episodes to make up, and uh, yeah, I just don't see us having the time to do that. But but yeah, lots of lots of stuff on the Two True Freak site. You can also go see us on uh, Facebook. We got the 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 rapidly dying Facebook, but not as rapidly as Twitter. Both are no, pathetic, though. Uh, we got the, the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook, which we put all the episodes on. And then we have the one, it's like the social group, that's the Two True Freaks Cantina. And we are still on Twitter. And Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Did it do it? Gene, we've missed you. Um, He's still running it. He's still running it. He's still, he's still, he's made it to the phase X and is hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Are you saying he's an X-Man? He is an X-Man. He is the X-Man for two true freaks. (laughs) Anyway, that's where they can find me. Where they can, they find, where, where they can find you, Hope. As soon as I find my water bottle, there it is. Wherefore they can find you, Hope. Thanks, Yoda. Um... You can find me. Okay, I, I should say I've been really bad about our Twitter in the last eight months. I'm so sorry. Uh, but it's at Jet Guys and Jedi. 
That's where you can find me there. Um, you can also find me at Hope Mullinex on Twitter. Um, if you're wondering why so much, I've been, oh, wow, look, you were talking about your words just now. Did you hear the mess of word salad that just came out of my mouth? <laughs> wow. Keep it uh, coming. It makes me feel better. Hell yeah, it does. Old age, right? Am I right? Uh. Um, in case you're wondering why I've been talking so much about some dude named Charles, uh, he is my co-podcaster on a show called Fur Light and Dice. Um, it is a Star Wars D&D podcast where we roll dice and we go on adventures. You don't need to know anything about the time period it's set in because we'll teach you about it. And you don't even need to know what uh, a Star Wars is because Robin, who is our guest next week, their character has amnesia. So they don't even know what a Star Wars is. So it's open for everybody. We have a lot of fun there. We're in our season two right now. Um, if you want to see just a little sampler platter of what we do, uh, we do have a one-shot that's three episodes called The Night Sister is Dead. So if you want to get an idea of the kind of things we do there, um, you can check out For Light and Dice. We're on all podcast platforms, and I'm super fun. And if you go at to at Hope Molnex on Twitter, you'll find my link tree, and you can see all the places I write for, like Dork Side of the Force and Collider and the Geeky Waffle. Um, oh, I'm gonna talk about this right now. Everyone, go fucking watch Hasbin Hotel. Hasbin Hotel is a new show on Prime, and I know it's Evil Jeff Bezos Town. I know it's Evil Jeff Bezos Town, but it's worth it because this show is so. No matter what you watch on anything, it's Evil Something Town. It is. You know? But Hasbin Hotel is a fantastic show that's an adult animated musical that deconstructs the binary of good and evil. And it's about the princess of hell trying to pitch the concept of purgatory to heaven that she can reform sinners and save them because she's tired of her people getting slaughtered by angels once a year. And it is full of amazing music. The characters are great. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I've been reviewing it for both the Geeky Waffle and Collider. And I've been writing about it. And it's so goddamn good. It has a sister show on YouTube called Hell of a Boss. It's so great. Go watch Hasbin Hotel. I can hear Charles in the background saying, fuck yeah, because we've both been freaking out about this show. Go watch it. It's so good. Hasbin Hotel. You can read all my reviews over at the Geeky Waffle. And I've been covering the news for it at Collider. So, hey. Hey, the Fonz. Hey, Chris, guess what? What? It's been almost a year in the making. We're going to finish Andor next week. I know. Next time, I, I should say. Don't curse it. Don't curse it. Only one more left. One more left. Like, seriously, it's been a, almost a year in the making. <laughs> this is the shortest fucking show other than Star Wars Missions. Well, it didn't it didn't hurt that we took eight months of that year off, so... <laughs> this is the shortest show other than Visions, Chris. I know. Well, we'll, well, we'll, we'll get to Obi Wan. That'll be that'll be a nice. Short. We've already done Obi Wan. Well, well, that was shorter than Obi Wan. Oh, was true. shorter. Was it? Oh yeah, it was six episodes, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, because every episode is based on an episode of the original trilogy. Yeah. yeah. And the prequel, or something like that. Yeah. Oh my god, we're almost done with Andor. Holy shit! I'm excited though. I'm very actually really really excited about um, our guest next time. So come back next time where we will be talking about Rick's Road with my friend uh, Robin, 
from For Light and Dice. I'm so excited. They are one of my favorite people, y'all. Like, in the galaxy. Like, get the fuck out, Charles. I love Robin. <laughs> I love them. And they're, like, one of my favorite people in the entire galaxy. Um, so I'm so excited for the next episode. Come back next time where we are going to be talking about Rick's Road. The Andor finale. One year in the making. Woohoo! Woohoo! All right, I'm going to bed. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Count Monte Crisco. That's Cristo, you dumb shit. By Alexandre Damas.